0: Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, we uh, have been progressing through a series on the book of Hebrews, and today we're going to be wrapping that series up. Um, This is the 11th message. We began this journey back at the beginning of May. And now we're at the 11th message of walking through the 13 chapters of the book of Hebrews. And, and as we have walked through this book, we've, we've really seen that um, there's a central message that kind of unites this book. And that, that message is that we have a need to anchor ourselves in an active way, to anchor ourselves to the rock of our salvation. That... If we have any notion that we can simply tread water in our relationship with God and, and, and maintain intimacy with Him, then we're mistaken because we live in a world that has a current that wants to cause us to drift away from intimacy with the Lord. And we have a need to, to cling to Him, and that is especially true of us who have been believers for a while. Um, and so we've, we've seen from the book of Hebrews over the last several weeks that we have this need to be anchored to Christ. And we're going to see the last installment of that from the concluding pages of the book in chapter 13 this morning. Um, but before we look at chapter 13, I want to just share with you maybe a little perspective through, through a story. Um, and that is to tell you a little bit about uh, some evolution that has happened in my interest in the game of basketball. I, from the time I was little, I've always loved basketball. I played basketball, I loved the game. Um, But when I was little, I was more of a college basketball fan than a pro basketball fan. I mean, now I I love pro basketball. I mean, Thunder Up, Fear the Beard, you name it, I'm I'm in to pro basketball at this point. The Thunder have come to town, and and they're they're my team. I love them. Um, But... When you when you think about how this is developed, I, I wasn't always an NBA fan. I, I was actually a, more of a college basketball fan growing up, and I grew up in the '80s. And I, I think that's partly because college basketball in the '80s was just very interesting. Uh, think about some of the personalities that coached college basketball in the '80s. Think about that even in this town. In the '80s, we had Billy Tubbs coaching at OU. I mean, that was that was interesting. Who could ever forget against Missouri? Whenever he said, regardless of how bad the officiating. Please refrain from flowing anything onto the court. I mean, you may not have liked that statement, but it's interesting. It's something that made you tune in. Uh, In Indiana, you had Bob Knight coaching in Indiana. Um, He would throw chairs across the court at times. That's just interesting, right? Even if you didn't like Bob Knight, there was an interest in college basketball in the 80s. Um, And also out in the Carolinas, there was Jim Valvano coaching at North Carolina State. And the, the famous championship that they won in 1983 with the, the last second dunk to win the game and Jim Valvano running the sidelines looking for someone to hug. Uh, just a great iconic moment in the history of the game of college basketball. I, I, I love basketball and in the A's I, I love college basketball. Well, Valvano was was a guy that, that I really enjoyed and I enjoyed uh, him not just as a coach but I also enjoyed him as a speaker. Um, he was a wonderful speaker. I, I read a book that he wrote um I heard him speak a couple of times and just just a just a wonderful speaker. So after he was done with his days coaching at NC State, it was a natural fit for him to step over into the broadcast booth and work at ESPN. Uh, well, in 1993, some years after he had finished coaching, uh, he was diagnosed with bone cancer and it was all over his body and he was soon to die. And in February of 1993, uh, Valvano was offered the Arthur Ashe Courage Award at the first ever ESPN ESPY Awards, and Valvano came up to speak. And, and, you know, here's this guy that was an incredible communicator, but also was going through a very uh, difficult season of life. That combination of events caused everybody to lean in and want to listen to what he had to say. And as Valvano began to talk, uh, he told some funny stories and he had everybody there, but he talked about his past, he talked about his coaching, but, but eventually he began talking about his present and about his future. He talked about how he had this cancer that most likely was going to claim his life. But then he talked about how ESPN and he, and he were going to team up to create the Jim, Jimmy V. Foundation for Cancer Research that's raised over $100 million to date. But he said, we're going we're gonna to establish this. And, and when he talked about that, that effort, to start this cancer foundation, he said this very famous line. He said, when it comes to this cancer research, he said, don't give up. Don't ever give up. That's the motto of this organization, and it's such a fitting motto because when you talk about something like cancer, it's it's very easy for us to, to you know, associate cancer with despair and lack of hope and the, the idea of finding a cure seems, seems difficult, and we just want to give up at times. Um, and he wanted to say, you know, hey, even if this cancer claims my life, which it did just a few weeks later, I want you to never give up the noble fight of raising funds to find a cure. And it just since his death, there have been a number of cures that have been found for different kinds of cancer. And some of you in this room, I know, have, been, have benefited from the cancer research that has come in. He said, don't give up don't ever give up. You know, I tell you that story today because I think the book of Hebrews has some similarities. In the book of Hebrews, the author is writing to a group of Christians who were experiencing some despair and some difficulty. They were experiencing some frustration and and maybe some disillusionment when it came to their walk with God. They had been a believer for 30-some years, and yet Christ had not yet returned. They had followed God for many years, and yet the persecution was beginning to ramp up again, and they were beginning to experience hardship and difficulty. They had followed Christ for many years, and now they had experienced a turnover of leadership, and they were hearing some things said back to them in the second generation. It was the same song, second verse, but they began to wonder if it really was going to work after all. And some within the believing community that received this original letter we're beginning to wander away, but the, the author of the book of Hebrews writes to them as if to say this, though it's, these words never appear in the book, I think this is clearly his heart and his intention. The author of the book of Hebrews looks at this group of believers and he says, don't give up. Don't ever give up. Following Christ is worth it. It is, it is noble and it is worth it in the end. Don't give up following him. That's the central message. of of the book of Hebrews, and it's a message that you and I need as well. See, we've been a believer for a while. Sometimes we just flat out get get bored. Sometimes we lose our focus. Sometimes we lose our attention span. Sometimes we get discouraged, and we think it's not working, and and we get to, to some point in our lives where we just think maybe it's not worth it to stay in the game. And if that's the way you're feeling this morning, then we need to hear the words of the author of the book of Hebrews Say to us, don't give up, don't ever give up and we hear that passion come through in our last section we're going to look at in Hebrews chapter 13 verses 7 to 14. if you got a Bible open it to Hebrews chapter 13 verses 7 to 14 uh, in our time this morning we're going to look at a couple of things from these verses that hopefully will encourage you and encourage me to to stay in the game and continue to anchor ourselves to Christ. The first thing we're going to see is this. We follow someone old, not something new. We follow someone old, not something new. We see this in verses 7 to 10. And where we see it is that these people who had received this letter were experiencing some some, some difficulties and some transition in their lives that was causing them to maybe want to look for something new. Uh, Verse 7 says this, says, "'Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the Word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith.'" These words shared by the author of the book of Hebrews talk about these leaders in the past tense. This is not the way you talk about somebody who is currently leading you. This is how you talk about somebody at a memorial service. This is about how you talk about someone who was with you at one time but is no longer with you. He's calling them to remember back to those who at first had shared with them the message of Christ. He wants them to remember those leaders who had spoke the word of God to them, and he wants them to consider their way of life. He's he's asking them to think back, And, and we'll talk more about what that means in just a second, but I think what it illustrates for us here is that they were experiencing leadership transition in their church. Those who were in this church that the book of Hebrews was sent to had experienced a turnover they might have had apostolic leadership at one point in time but no longer. they might have had a pastor who had been there for 20 years but no longer. they were experiencing some turnover and that was causing some disruption in their in their in their church. Uh, we mentioned earlier they had experienced some some difficulty if you were with us a few weeks ago and we looked at chapter 10. Um, Not only were they experiencing some leadership turnover, but they were experiencing some hardship. Chapter 10 talks about how the recipients of this letter were being imprisoned because of their faith in Christ. They were having their land plundered because of their faith in Christ. They were being given over to public reproach because of their faith in Christ. They were experiencing difficulty. Their leadership was was changing, and and this was very unsettling for this original audience. And, And some within that audience, it seems, from Verse 9, we're looking for something new in order to follow. Verse 9 says, Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which has not benefited those devoted to them. It it seems as though these original recipients um, were, were tempted to respond to their difficult circumstances by trying to find something new. Maybe they were trying to find something that mentions food. Maybe they, they were going to try to follow some Old Testament dietary code and, and add that back into their walk with God. It, it, maybe that was the key to, to doing it right, the key to intimacy with Christ, the key to avoiding difficulty. We don't know if that was it or if it was something else, but there was something strange and diverse. They were wanting to turn away from their Savior and turn to something new in order to satisfy their spiritual itch. You know, that before we pass too quick a judgment on them, we need to think a little bit about what their experience might have been like. Uh, listen to what biblical scholar F.F. F. Bruce says about their experience. He says, Christians had none of the visible apparatus which in those days was habitually associated with religion and worship. No sacred buildings, no altars, no sacrificing priests. Their pagan neighbors thought that they had no God and called them atheists their Jewish neighbors, too, might criticize them for having no visible means of spiritual support. See, they were the first generation of Christians. And while every other religion had temples and priests and things, that they didn't have those. And, and because of that, over time, they might have thought, maybe we need to get those in order to really be close in our relationship with God. Why maybe they were turning back to some kind of special food, or something else in order to satisfy them. But the author of Hebrews writes to them and he says that they are not to do this. They are not to be led astray by these things. They are instead to not turn to something new, but they're to turn to someone old. And we see that very clearly in verse 8. In verse 8, he tells them that that someone old that they are to turn to to satisfy all of their spiritual needs is not a new thing, but it's, it's a someone. It's Jesus Christ. Look at what it says in verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. It was not in something new, but it was in someone old that they were to place their full trust. Jesus never changes And therefore, he was their hope when they trusted in Christ, and he was their hope some 30 years later. Their hope was in someone old, someone who never changes. And because Jesus never changes, that's why they were to remember their leaders in verse 7, those who had spoke the Word of God to them consider the outcome of their way of life, and imitate their faith. In other words, those leaders before told you a message and they pointed you to Christ. And since he doesn't change, then you don't need to go find something new just because they're no longer with you. You don't need to go find something new just because your life is hard. He says it's not something new that you need, it's, it's someone old. Of this, Warren Weersby says that this, I think, is the key message of Hebrews, that you can be secure while everything around you is falling apart. You see, it's it's not in finding new things. Weersby says it's in anchoring to that which is old, which, which never changes. We can have security and stability in life because Christ never changes. We have someone old to anchor to. Now, our life situation is different from the original recipients of this letter. They were the first generation of Christians. We are living millennia later. They were people who were experiencing very real, very close, and very personal persecution because of their faith. Uh, For the most part, we have avoided that. Um, Our world changes all the time, but Uh, Most of us will not have our property taken because we're a believer. Most of us will not be thrown in jail today because of our faith in Christ. But that was a reality for them. So there are some differences between our world and their world. But one thing that I think is consistent between our world and their world is that we too have a temptation to want to turn our hope to something new and away from someone who is old i think this this roots in the fact that that there is some level of holy discontent that all of us walk around with at some level we are not satisfied with the depth of intimacy we we have with god we're not satisfied with um, our understanding of Him. We're not satisfied with, with something. We we're somewhat discontent with all of that. And so when somebody comes along and says the secret to your growing and your relationship with God is this new thing, it's appealing to us because we have some level of dissatisfaction on the other side. And in my life, in the, the time that I've known Christ, uh, there's been many things that have been suggested to me personally as this is the key for you. And and if, you know, many of you have have walked with God far longer than I, you could add to the list I'm getting ready to share. But we all are bombarded with messages of something new. This is the key to your spiritual life. Uh, The first time I remember hearing this in a a real clear way was when I was a student at OU and I had a, a, a classmate come up and say, hey, have you heard about what is happening with this thing called holy laughter? Um, that the the Holy Spirit comes inside you so much that you just start laughing uncontrollably, and it makes you really close to God. And it's it's coming out of this church in Toronto, and so we ought to go and experience it. Because if it gets me closer to God, I wanna I wanna have it. And I remember having that conversation with this person. I think, well, yeah, if if what you say is true, if it really would get me closer to God, I wanna have it too. But is that the secret to the spiritual life? Is to laugh uncontrollably in Toronto? It was offered up that way. For others, it's, it's, it's come to us in different ways. I remember a different season of my life where it was missionary fervor that was, that was held up. You know, if you want to go to the place that nobody else wants to go, the deepest, the darkest jungle, the farthest place, if you will commit to that, then you will really know God. If, if you will break down in tears every time you see a globe because of the, the, the tragedies that are happening around it as you know of, then you will know God. And missionary fervor is held up as, as the secret to unlocking our relationship with Him. Uh, at different times, it's been books and things that have been written. Uh, I could pick on any number of things, but I'm going to pick on one. Uh, if you remember in the early in the 2000s, the little book, Prayer Jabez, came out. And I remember when that book came out. I mean, it's, it's, it's a good book, and, and I, I'm not discrediting it, but I remember having people share it with me. This is the secret, this is the key. You want to really have a deep prayer life? I found the ticket. It's a small little obscure verse in the middle of the Old Testament, but we finally found it. We've unlocked the magic city. We can now talk to God. And we put it on T-shirts and we put it on toilet paper and we put it on Bible covers and we did everything we could to get it out there because we'd found the key. We'd found the new thing. I say I'm I'm picking on that book. That happens a lot of times. Whatever the latest, greatest Christian book is. You've got to read this book. It'll change your life. This is it. It's a new thing. For some, it's prophecy. Hey, you've got to come over here and somebody will stand over you and tell you things about your life that, that only God would know, and, and then it will it'll unlock this, this ability for you to relate to him. Brothers, it's, it's been tongues. You know, if you just were able to speak in a language that you haven't learned, then you will have intimacy with God. Brothers, it's it's understanding of theology, whether it's Reformed theology or dispensational theology, this framework, this knowledge, that's it. For, for some, it's, it's, it's languages and education. If you just go to seminary, if you just learn Hebrew, if you just learn Greek, then, then it'll unlock everything and you'll finally know God. For others, it's, it's, it's a different tradition. It's, it's Roman Catholicism. If, if, if you just were within the church of Rome, then you would understand, then you would have a relationship with Him. See, we, we have so many times that there are some things that are shared with us that are the new secret to connect with God. And you know what? I, I probably shared something that stepped on somebody's toes in here. Um, my intention was not to do that. Uh, these are all things that have had appeal to me at times. If they are what they say, then absolutely. But what's fascinating to me in this book is that when the author of the book of Hebrews goes to draw his conclusion, he doesn't point to something new. He points to someone old. He says, not, here's the trick. He says, there's the Savior. He doesn't say here's something new. He says there's someone old. You know, for some of us, it's not something new, it, but it is something old. Sometimes we begin to romanticize the past, and and it's if it's good, if it's if it's old, if it's if it's music that was written before 1884, then it's good. If it's beyond that, then it's just a us or, or whatever you know there's, there's sometimes it's it's not something new it's something old and we get we get focused on that if we really want to have a deep relationship with god we'll we'll just be about things that are old we'll just read books that' were here we'll just read from from this one author or something like that that's the key to growing in your relationship with God see we, we've been sold a number of things as the key and they have appealed to us because there's some level of of dissatisfaction that we have in our lives. But the Word of God and the author of the book of Hebrews doesn't tell us that the key is in something new. He says that we are to follow someone who is old. Now, if you're thinking right now, then you're thinking, okay, so what does that mean though? What does that actually look like for us? Because we, we live in a world where there are many things you know how do we how do we begin to think and trust in in Christ alone as our hope instead of in the latest and the greatest because you know one one attitude would say we'll never read another book just read the Bible or or never sing another song just just think about jesus or or whatever it is you know that, that's that's not what I'm saying at all but what it is saying is that where's the your level of of trust and and where's your hope planted? And let me give you a, an an example that maybe will help with that. Um, Kimberly and I used to have a dog. Uh, this 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 dog he, he died last January, but he was a great dog. This little beagle named Rocky, and Rocky had a number of great tricks that he could do. I mean, he could jump up on the countertop and grab a sandwich off, and and uh, he could. Uh, he could come and, and, uh, and sit with you when, when you just needed somebody to come and sit with you. And he was a, an alarm that would let us know when anybody showed up. Uh, he had a number of, of, of great little tricks uh, that, that he would do. In the, in the wintertime, we called him our personal heater. You'd be, you'd be cold and he'd come and sit on your feet. It was awesome. Um, but we, we had this dog. But there was one thing that this dog never could figure out, and that was pointing. You know, I, I would say, hey, Rocky, look at that. And you know what he, you know what Rocky would do? He would look at my finger. I'd say, no, no, look at that, Rocky. He would run over and he would sniff my finger. I said, no, no, look over there. He would come over. He would sniff it and he would lick it. He thought it was all about the finger. And, and no matter what I would do, he would never. He never grew out of that. in, in eleven years of life as a dog, he never got past the finger. You know, my my son, when he was born, would do a similar thing. I would say, hey, Josh, look, and he would start by looking at my finger. But you know what? Over time, he matured past that, thankfully. It's helped us in communication. Um, And now he looks past my finger to whatever I'm pointing at. See, here's the deal with things. A number of the things I listed before, a bunch of them have, have some value, right? But insofar as... The things that are around us make us look at the thing, we're focusing on the wrong thing. Insofar as these things, whether it be music or, or Scripture or whatever, cause us to look past them, them to the Savior to whom they point, then they've done their job. See, far too often we get stuck looking at the finger when in reality it is been given to us to point to the Savior. I was thinking about this last night. I, I was doing some last minute prep for, for this morning and, and listening to some music and, and uh, there's a great worship song. I was, I was just singing out in my living room to this, this song and I was thinking, man, this is a great song. You know, the, the melody was good and, and uh, it, was, it was a style that I like and, and all this stuff and, and then, then it hit me. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about this. You know, that song is not about that song. That song was written to point me to a Savior who is so much greater. And I was too busy staring at the finger that I missed it. As believers in Christ, we need to look past the things into the one. You know, when Bruce and I get up and talk in the services, when you when you read your your, your Bible, when you sing songs, it's not about staring at the finger. It's not about anything that I'm saying. My, my hope and this, I'm totally sincere in this. My hope is that the sum total of the series of the book of Hebrews is not that you would know anything about me. It's that you would know something about him. There is someone that is worthy of our lives. There is someone that we can trust. There is someone who wants to grow us and mature us in faith. There is someone so much greater than any song that we could sing, than any words that we could read. There is someone that is so worthy of all of that, and, and we should not get stuck looking at the, the finger that we missed the thing, or that we missed the one. You see, we are to follow someone old, not something new. Second thing we're going to see, though. Is that we need to look toward someday, not just today. Look toward someday, not just today. We see this in, in verses 11 to 14. And, and what we see in these verses is we see a uh, somewhat of a, of, a, of a difficult to understand to our Gentile ears description of the Day of Atonement in Israel. Let me, let me read verses 11 to 13 for us first. He says, for the the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. Here's what those verses are talking about. See, in the Old Testament sacrificial system, um, there was this thing a day prescribed called the Day of Atonement where the, the sins of the people of God would be uh, offered sacrifices for. And the high priest would would offer these sacrifices, but then they would take the carcasses outside of the city of Jerusalem, um, outside the city gate, and they would be burned outside that gate because the idea was that those sacrifices had become a reproach and they weren't to stay within the sacred city. They would be Disposed of outside because they'd become a thing of disgrace. They'd become associated with sin. And I think the the applicational point that the author of Hebrews is making is talking about when Jesus was crucified. See, Jesus was crucified where? Outside the gate. The Jewish authorities turned him over to the Romans who marched him outside the gate. And this was very symbolic of, of their rejection of him. He was seen as as unholy, as unwelcome. He was to be disposed of, not in the sacred city, but outside the gate. He was someone who was an object of reproach. And in that act where he went outside the gate, where sin was dumped on him, he made an offering that made you and I holy. If we trust in Christ, his sacrifice was payment for our sin. But what we're called to do in verse thirteen is to to go out and be with Christ, and if we are to go out and be with Christ, then that means that because He was someone who received reproach outside the city, that that we will open ourselves up to receiving reproach outside the city as well. You see, as as people who live today in our in our world, our, our American world, we kind of think that believing in in Jesus will make everything. Right. And, and we don't we know this isn't true, but at some level we, we have this fantasy that if we just followed God enough, we would we would have a, a lot of money and we would be healthy and, and our kids would would grow up and, and do everything that we wanted them to do and, and believe everything we want them to believe and, and make a difference that we want them to make a difference. And and we believe that all this stuff is 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 wrapped in and, and we'll have you know some degree of honor that is associated with being a Christian. But the reality is that this verse talks about that when we follow Christ, it may actually be hard because his life was hard. And he calls us to a life that is at odds with the world and it calls us to a life that, that may very well experiencing some reproach and some difficulty. And to those of us who are, are called to live this life of some difficulty, we need to remember that our hope is not just in today, it's in some Look at what it says in verse 14. He says, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. What he's saying is, you may follow Christ now, it may lead to some reproach, but it will pay off in the end. One day, everything that's been promised to us will come true. The city that is to come is is the talk about when Christ returns, when we go to be with Him, and when everything is made right, when every promise He's ever made comes true. See, our hope is not just in today, it's in someday. And I think that's such an important concept for us to grasp as Christians and to apply in so many ways because it encourages us to stay anchored to Him. It encourages us to not give up. It encourages us to keep going. I mean, think of some of the, the applications of this. You know, Bruce mentioned earlier about Patricia Webb, who died of breast cancer. Uh, earlier this week, and many in this room, we we, we prayed for Patricia. Um, that, that God would would heal heal her of this disease. Um, but you know, Monday, as she's struggling with that disease, you know, our our hope for her was not just in Monday. Our hope for her was in someday, and her someday ended up being Tuesday, when she been, went to be with him. See, we can have a hope that goes beyond the moment that goes to the, the one time the one day fulfillment of all that God has promised. We think about the situation in Aurora, Colorado, this week and the tragedy and all the people that were shot and, and twelve lives lost and, and all of that difficulty that was going on there and we we want there to be comfort brought. we want there to be an end to that kind of violence and we, we pray for those things, but our hope is not just in Saturday. our hope is not just in Sunday. Our hope is in someday. When, when Christ returns and, and all of those situations are done away with and, and it's all made, made right and, and violence like that will never happen again. See, we can, we can trust God in today for Him to begin to work, but our ultimate hope for fulfillment of the promises of God is not just in today, it's in someday. Someday. You know, think about the persecuted Christians around the world today. Our our hope for them as we we pray for them is is not just that God gets them through today, though we 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 trust them for that, but it's it's in one day when Christ returns and the blood of the martyrs is taken care of and vindicated. See, we we get beyond just today to someday, and the Christian life makes sense. I think about it even in terms of of our own life, and and I've. Yeah, it's hard for me to, to apply passages right now without thinking through things in, in our own life. But I, I mentioned this last week, but my wife's kidney transplant is going to happen a week from tomorrow on, on July the 30th. And, you know, we've, we've prayed and we're, we're trusting God for this and, and believe this is going to be a great, you know, uh, outcome in this surgery. Um, but, you know, our, our ultimate hope for healing and provision and restoration is, is not in July the 30th. It's in someday. And I don't know what you're going through right now that you're trusting God for, but you have a hope that goes beyond today. It goes beyond tomorrow. It goes all the way to someday when Christ will return and everything will be made right. You see, we hang in there. We are called to to never give up because we have a hope that extends beyond today. We have a Savior that never changes, and we have a hope that someday the inheritance that is promised will be received. And because of that, we anchor ourselves. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. And as they come and, and prepare to, to lead us in a closing song, I want to just mention something about the, the, what we're getting ready to do. We're getting ready to sing this incredible song that talks about the unfailing love of God. Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, we don't have to wonder if he loves us. We don't have to wonder if his love has failed. His love is constant, it is present, and it is right here with us now. And this is a beautiful song that is going to be played beautifully musically by our worship team, and we're going to have the opportunity to sing. But as we do that today, as we wrap up this series, here's what I want to challenge all of us to do. Don't look at the finger. Look beyond to what this song is pointing to. It's pointing to our Savior that we can anchor to and trust. Please stand and join us.